0: Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of
1: love in action. The proclamation of the parable of the Good Samaritan was to reveal the prideful heart. Titus 3 8 says, This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. We are to be salt and light, but not only through the gospel, but by how we care for and about people.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Word of God is much more than a series of laws or standards for living. It's much more than a basis for religion, as a matter of fact. Coming up, Pastor Xavier reveals God's Word is intended to be lived out in everyday life. Let's join him in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 10, for today's Simple Truth study, Are you a good Samaritan?
1: One day a young man was talking to his girlfriend, telling her how much he loved her. And you know the old saying, you know, I'll swim the deepest ocean, climb the highest mountain and all that. And before he leaves, he says, by the way, I'll see you Wednesday if it doesn't rain. Um, Too often what people say regarding their love commitment towards God and man is disregarded by small, the smallest inconvenience. When word and deed become one, that becomes truth. All of us have the potential to be slackers because we're sinners, (laughs) and so we want to look at the parable of the Good Samaritans, dealing with the love of God for our neighbor and the love for God first, as we'll see, for our neighbor through the threefold movement that we have presented here in verses 25 down to 37. First. We have the occasion for the parable in verse 25 through 29. Secondly, we have the proclamation of the parable in 30 to 35, and then the application to the parable, verse 36 and 37. In 25, nor is the particular person identified by his position in society, and behold, a certain lawyer, a scholar, a doctor of the law, often in the priesting of the temple, he would be teaching. Maybe when Jesus when he was 12 years old, like one of these doctors which Jesus um, was asking questions to. Notice Luke doesn't give the connecting relationship that prompted the interchange with the lawyer and Jesus. But Jesus has just finished thanking the Father for revealing the gospel to babes and hiding them from the proud who think themselves wise and prudent, indicating the high privilege of the disciples for seeing and hearing what kings and prophets desire to look into in verse 21 through 24. But remember, Luke is not presenting his material in strict chronological order. Often he does so in topical or thematic groupings, as we've seen. The other synoptic gospels, Matthew and Mark, give us the parallel. They present the account a little bit different with the background. Matthew and Mark both present the Sadducee, asking Jesus about the um, woman who had the seven brothers. They all died without giving birth to a son, so therefore the next brother had to pick up the Levitical responsibility to preserve the name of the brother. And they said, in the resurrection, who, why will she be? And you know, Jesus said, you both are not knowing the scripture, the power of God. In the resurrection, they're neither given in marriage or, or married. We're not going to be that way, okay? But that's the background that then Matthew 22, 34 through 40, and um. Mark twelve twenty eight through 48, tells us that at that time, and Matthew particularly adds that he was a Pharisee, that they were hearing Jesus, and then they had silenced the Sadducees, and then a lawyer asked the question. So that's the backdrop from Matthew and Mark. But Luke, again, is the only one that connects the scribe. To the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is unique of Luke, and many parables and passages are unique of Luke, especially in this section, that are not found anywhere else in the other synoptics. Notice the particular posture of this lawyer was one of hostility towards Jesus. He stood up and tested him, saying, "'Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?' The man stood to be seen and heard by all those listening to Jesus." But you know, the Pharisees were like that. Jesus says they love the chief seats. They love to parade themselves in the corners and make their prayers. These are religious hypocrites that they think are better than anybody else, as we'll see. All recognized he was the authority of the law. All eyes and ears were now on him. Now, the man had um, a bad motive behind the question. He was about to ask Jesus. He was about to try to trap Jesus. Or to put him on trial, literally. The motive of the lawyer was to embarrass, to prove Jesus wrong, and discredit him publicly. He was a lawyer, a scribe, one who studied and interpreted the law. They prided themselves in that knowledge. And um, as you read the Gospels, they were always trying to trap Jesus. The question was about eternal life. In verse 25 it says, he called Jesus teacher, a term of respect and honor, but internally he was being disrespectful, as we're going to see. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? His question emphasized doing to merit eternal life, what, not how, but what. His question indicated that he disagreed with the preaching and teaching of Jesus about having to be born again to receive eternal life, a God-quality life. He believed you could do things to inherit eternal life. He revealed a self-righteous attitude, trusting the law for his righteousness. Notice the prompt answer of Jesus was given... That the man might trap himself before all who were hearing. What a master Jesus is. Remember, he's God. He knows everything. They just didn't believe he was God. But he was God. And he knew every thought of their heart. Jesus answers the question with a question. Turning the tables on the lawyer by asking them two things. What a master. The first dealt with what was recorded in the scriptures. Disarming the lawyer's intent. To tempt Jesus and trap Him. What is written in the law? The emphasis on the word written. Graffle. What is written? That's the authority. How novel that is. The Bible's the authority for truth. Give that to your professor. To your wife, your husband, your children. It's the Bible that's the authority. Not our opinion. The Lord Jesus knew not only... His evil intent, but that the lawyer knew what the law said. He was a doctor of the law. This is a basic fundamental question. The second dealt with what was his interpretation of it. What is your reading of it? Forcing the lawyer to give himself the answer he's asking for. (laughs) The man was an expert in the law. So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord Your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. The Lord was quoting the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, particularly Deuteronomy and Leviticus here. The first commandment comes from the book of Deuteronomy called the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The second commandment comes from the book of Leviticus, 1918. And the word love is agapao, from agape. It's God's divine love that is selfless with purpose by one's own free will. God being the source for loving one's neighbor, the vertical axis affects the horizontal plane. Always it is the source. And this is the point. The scribe does not believe you have to be born again. He believes you can have eternal life by doing. Notice the fourfold expression of loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and mind. It simply indicates with completeness undivided loyalty. And all applies to every one of them. Heart, soul, strength, and mind. Undivided loyalty. And the term heart, as you know, cardia refers to the center of our being, personality, and character. Who you and I really are. The soul, the suki, refers to the live consciousness, that which animates our body, the intellect, the emotions, and the will. You're creating the image of God, according to His likeness and image. You have an ability to choose freely, a volition of choice. Self-determining, even as God. Capacity to love, to respond, to think. The strength refers to one's ability and energies. The mind refers to the faculties of understanding, the thoughts, the ideas and convictions of our heart, who we are in character. Notice Jesus knew the lawyer had now cornered himself by answering his own question about what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And he said to him, You have rightly answered or answered rightly. He must have stood there just looking so proud. and Yes. His intent is to humble God. And Jesus, a good fisherman, gives him line. He lets them run. Jesus then commanded the lawyer. He first commended him. Now he commands the lawyer to do what he knew to inherit eternal life. Listen carefully. Do this and you will live. Now in the English it doesn't sound that bad. This is where the Greek kind of helps us out. The word do is a present active Imperative command, it's not a suggestion. He says, do. In other words, if you would love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, constantly, is what the Greek means, continuously, without a break, he could merit eternal life. The Greek tense is very important. That scribe understood what Jesus said and so did the public that was listening to him. Jesus plainly was revealing to him the impossibility of obtaining eternal life by the doing of the law that requires perfection. No human being can keep the law constantly and continuously, as you know, to perfection. The law accuses us and points to our guilt And an ability before God. Because we fail. Paul says in Galatians 3.11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith is synonymous. You have to be born again. He says in Romans throughout Galatians. Now. The lawyer knew his intent to tempt and trap Jesus had fallen apart. And it backfired literally. He was cornered. A sinner like all others unable to obey the command of Jesus on so 29 he attempts to be sarcastic to evade his own answer and Jesus command listen to his words but he wanting to justify himself he said to Jesus and who is my neighbor looking around he being a pharisee lawyer scribe hated all Gentiles and exalted himself even above the majority of the Jews. The Jewish religious leaders had a limited view of neighbor, having a limited love of man, which exposed their limited love for God. Paul the Apostle put it this way in First 1 Corinthians 1, 18-21. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world for sin's? In the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Those of the days of Jesus, if they could have looked at Jesus through their own intellectual, natural thinking, hey, that's God, don't mess with him. They wouldn't have crucified him. But through their own natural intellect and assessment, they said, he's just a man, carpenter. We don't know who his daddy was. We as a nation have turned our back on God due to our confidence in our modern technology and seeming abilities to solve anything, yet the more we try to solve things, the bigger mess they become. The truth of the matter is that we have really cut our own throat as a nation. We have eliminated our only hope for success and blessing and protection, Our leaders have acted arrogantly, coy, deceptive to the people. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So our prayer is that our leaders repent, that they come to their senses through the gospel. Solomon put it this way, Ecclesiastes 12.12, And further, my son, be admonished by these, of making many books there is no end. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. Some of the strongest warnings of judgment were declared by Jesus to the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. The occasion for the parable of the Good Samaritan was a prideful heart. Notice, secondly, comes the proclamation Of the parable of the Good Samaritan, 30 to 35. In verse 30, the heartless and violent scene is described by Jesus. The parable is to be taught by Jesus was to provide the answer to the lawyer's sarcastic question of who was his neighbor. Then Jesus answered and said. Now, all parables, as we've said, only do one of two things. They compare or they contrast. This one contrasts the lawyer to the Samaritan. A parable is knowing something you do know, putting it next to something that you don't know, and in knowing what you do know, now you'll know what you didn't know. That's what a parable is. Now, notice the victim in the parable is identified as a certain man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The fact that he's going down to Jericho is a good indication that he was probably a Jew since Jericho was a city of the priest, and Jews lived there. The victimizing of the man is described. Notice, he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. The route was a very dangerous road, called the Red and Bloody Way, because of the thieves and robbers that would hide in that desolate mountainous area with many caves those who did travel usually did it accompanied or in large groups in their pilgrimage to avoid any theft or robbery or being killed and whatever may be but a very desolate dangerous area the intent seems to have been robbery most likely he probably resisted and they beat them up they simply left them to die Next, we have the heartless man who did not help the man in 31 and 32. The first man did not want to be bothered at all with the injured man, 31. He was a religious man. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. He being a priest may have been returning from his duties in Jerusalem to Jericho. So here he is, Lord, I just worship you, I love you. and Oh, and we're in the temple, I'm in church, I'm just so spiritual. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. But the man in my foot hits the first step out of this building, my horns come out. He was indifferent to the injured man. And when he saw him, he's passed by on the other side. He was one who supposedly loved God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. But he did not love his fellow man. Inconsistent. We're called the love in agape. I can love people as ugly as they can be, as mean they can be in God's love. But not in my natural love. Are we clear on that? So you know where Jesus is headed. He's headed for the new birth. <laughs> He was not even concerned to see if the man was alive or dead. He simply changed his direction to the other side, you know, out of sight, out of mind. He neither wanted to take the time nor had the empathy or sympathy to pity the man. The second man, as given in verse 32, was merely inquisitive about the injured man. He was also a religious man of the family of Aaron, likewise a Levi says. He also could have been returning from his duties at Jerusalem. He was privileged to do service for God, representing the people as the family of Aaron from all the other tribes. He was callous to the injured man. When he arrived at the place, he came and he looked and he passed on the other side. So he was one who was supposed to love God again with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and therefore able to love his fellow man, but he, on the other hand, was not moved with empathy or compassion, observing. He even walks up and he looks at him, he looks at his naked body, he looks at his beat-up body, his injuries, and whether he is conscious or unconscious, we're not told, but then just simply observes the injured man and passes on to the other side, maybe saying, Better him than me. Then we have the heartfelt man who did help the man. This man could not be indifferent or callous towards the injured man. He was despised by the Jews, by the way. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed. (laughs) the minute Jesus says, Samaritan, I can just see the scribe and the people. He also was traveling on the dangerous road. He was a half breed, a Gentile and Jew through the Assyrian captivity of 722 BC of the northern kingdom. After the practice of the Assyrians to transpopulate people from one location to the other so they intermix and they cannot have a pure race and forget their language and be absorbed. He would not be allowed. In the vicinity of the temple. And certainly not in the temple court. In fact they called Jesus a Samaritan. He has a demon in him. But Jesus told his disciples. I must needs go through Samaria. And he ministered to the woman of Samaria. In John chapter 4. He could not ignore the injured man. He came where he was. And when he saw him. Here's the key. He had compassion. Compassion. He cared for his injuries on the spot. Then he transported the injured man and looked after him. Brought him to an inn and then he made provisions for the long care of this injured man. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good... And does it not to him it's sin? The Christian is to be the example to the world, as you know, where to be salt and light, but not only through the gospel, but by how uh, we care for and about people. Titus 3a says uh, This is a faithful saying And these things I want you to affirm constantly That those who have believed in God Should be careful to maintain good works These things are good and profitable to men The proclamation of the parable of the good Samaritan Was to reveal the prideful heart Jesus is trying to save this guy He's ministering to him Pastor
0: Xavier Ruiz, reminding us that love requires action. Important simple truths drawn again today from a study series of the Gospel of Luke. And you can hear this message again anytime online by simply selecting today's date at the radio listings link you'll find at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. But there's still much more to come right here next time as well. Now if your schedule won't permit you to tune in though, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD. The title to ask for is, Are You a Good Samaritan? We're making it available for only $4 upon request. So once again, the title to ask for is, Are You a Good Samaritan? Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800 800- Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This helps us check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What does the gospel look like? And that's coming up when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com